0: Welcome to episode 27 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, last week we examined the topic of words. And I realized when we got into the studio that Penelope, who is here to my left, was not on our episode last week. And so as I began talking with Winnie, who is also here in the studio, about our review, she reminded me that Penelope was not here. So to the extent that Penelope (laughs) is able to answer, it will be really off the top of her head and out of her heart. We explained last week, and Penelope, you can go back and listen to... Episode 26, Roger is under the weather today, his voice doesn't work, which is an incredible disappointment to him because he likes to talk. <laughs> but we were explaining last week how words are a useful tool for identifying particular objects, but that the words themselves are not the reality they define. If I spell my name on a piece of paper, for example, K, E, V, I. And hold that up. This is, is it not, one of many helpful means of identifying me. But what I write on the piece of paper is not, in fact, me, is it?
1: Mm-mm. It's just your label.
0: <laughs> just my <laughs> label. Like like this this would also be my label. I'm gonna write something else out. I'm gonna spell it here yeah, and then I'll I let what you know. <laughs> that that might also Identify.
1: What, why, <laughs> what, what happens to what the dashes it H-A-N-D-S-O-M-E,
0: handsome, or I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-T. Oh, Wait, I digress. sorry, what would you say? Intelligent. <laughs> oh, I just went too I, fast. Yeah,
1: I didn't. <laughs>
0: and I didn't write that one down. Well, the same holds true if we write numbers. If I write the Arabic numeral, two, and next to that scratch out, Two capital I's, which are the Roman symbol for two, right? Hold that up here for the studio, right? These are two distinct symbols that are used to identify the same thing, which is what? Two. Or the concept of. Tunis. Tunis, <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure that uh, Winnie is happy that I brought oh. two pucks two into this. Sp- <laughs>
1: for. Puckness. puckness, right?
0: But oh. in this, this case, we're not gonna talk about puckness. We're actually gonna talk about the tunis. Of them. And, um, Sounds I have,
1: like you're saying, like, tunic.
0: Yes. Sometimes. T-W-O-N-E-S-S. Tunis. So I'm holding in my right hand a Penguin's Predator's cup, and in my left cup? hand... I said cup. I'm so used to the Penguins winning cups that I said oh. cup. Go <laughs> cool horn for that. But I must confess that when my family recently attended the Penguin's Predator's game... In Nashville, the Predators won, so that was um, good for you, Nashville fans. Humble pie for us, Penguins fans. But it happens on occasion. Penguins are still in good stead in the standings. Will be in the playoffs. Not sure how far they'll go this year. But it stands for two. But we understand, don't we, that this number two and the Roman numeral two are actually different things. If if these were if two is this, then it couldn't be that. And if two were the Roman numeral, it couldn't be that. So we know that it stands for something outside of itself, right?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: We then moved, as Penelope will learn when she listens to episode 26, how language is comprised of different terminology to describe the same thing. And I believe we use the a- examples of water and agua, right? Terms from English and Spanish used to identify the same thing, which is a molecule of?
2: H2O. H2O. Uh-huh. <clears throat>
0: So why does this happen? Why is it necessary to have different words to uh make reference to the same thing? Winnie.
2: Well, different groups of people use different different words to describe the same concept.
0: And why why is that? Give me give me an example of when it happens and why it happens.
2: Well, we could call I don't know, we could say yes and the French say oui. oui. Um,
0: yes spelled oui. is that spelled? Oui. Yes, sir. We—that's right. Penelope also takes some French. Yay. (laughs) Okay, so in that context, just like the agua and water, we're talking about two different cultures and languages. So it's necessary for that reason, right? Because we don't drink something different. It's not like they drink water, or that water is comprised of different molecules, different substances in France as it is in the United States of America, right? Yes. So if you're thirsty and you need you need water to survive, you need to ask for the same thing. So we definitely need different words. How about within the same language? What what are some examples of same things being called by different terms?
1: Mm, I know one uh, that from that I just learned today. People call um, jaw clips, claw clips, also
0: claw clips and jaw clips. And so Amy said
1: apparently it's the same thing, but I thought it was just jaw clips.
0: What you have in your hair then is. Which is it a claw clip or a jaw clip?
1: I say jaw clips, but my sister says they're both claw clips and jaw clips.
0: Okay How about and I think last week we also said if you're an adult, you might refer to the toilet as a toilet, whereas if you're talking to your two-year-old, you might refer to it as a potty, right? <laughs> but it's the same thing, uh, regardless of the culture or age group about whom the particular object's being discussed. so why why is it? That this is necessary, not just to identify it, but what, what is it that we're conveying?
1: Trying to make it more understandable,
0: hmm which is a form of knowledge, right? So that knowledge can be reliable and can be passed on and continue. It would be very confusing, wouldn't it, if one day someone referred to, used the term water, and they were talking about molecules of whatever comprises Coca-Cola, and you just wanted a bottle of water and they brought you a Coke, now, some people might like that, but other like people that. might be allergic to it, right? <clears throat> or if you wanted a cup of coffee and someone brought you a, a bucket of sand.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a random.
0: Right? So this this would destroy knowledge. We then concluded our discussion last week with an examination of this the troubling trend of our day where people have begun resorting to using the same words— to describe very different things. The term marriage, for example, is an institution whose definition, one man, one woman, was established by God who created marriage, but it has in recent years been used as a means of describing such things as homosexual union, lesbian union, or even really to identify any two people cohabitating. And then we discuss how this foolishness spread to other terms like sex, gender, and race, where the objective and visible reality to which these words apply has been replaced with a subjective definition determined by how one feels, leading ultimately to dilution of language, confusion, and ultimately what we concluded was a very intentional loss of knowledge, making it more difficult to distinguish between what is true and what is not. So I turn to my icebergs now and ask them, why would anyone seek to intentionally confuse and destroy knowledge.
2: Well, Satan does it, obviously, and it's part of his plan to confuse, and well, the opp- I can't think of it, but the opposite of unity, but break everyone apart and throw confusion in everyone's faces.
0: Okay, so confusion is purposeful to what end? You've made a good point, Winnie. About ultimately, at back of all of this is Satan, who's the father of lies. And we'll we'll get to that scripture again that, that we quoted last week. So Satan's the father of lies. His native tongue is lying. Why does Satan lie? What is his aim in lying or confusing? Or if his aim is lying, which leads to confusing, what is his goal in confusing? Ultimately, his ultimate goal. Well, it manifests itself, at least through human action, in the desire for power, control. It's love of self, right? This is is a vain attempt to conform reality to our own desires. And I think I'll leave it at that for now so that people will go back and listen to episode 26. When we return, I'm going to tell you a little story to further illustrate the effects of this dilution of knowledge. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community?
2: Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee
0: Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget, Penelope, devoted to the topic of discernment. By the way, Penelope, I noticed you have a beautiful new pink water bottle, or what do you call it? It's so, not a hydroflask. It's not a hydroflask, <laughs> but it looks like a hydroflask. It
1: does, and it works pretty much like one. It's very handy
0: and, yeah. and pink, good
1: quality. Mm-hmm.
0: And pink. You can hear the thumping of it. Our icebergs today, as, as noted earlier, only two. We have our standby, uh, Roger, who is ill and unable to talk. But we do have Winnie, of course, and we do have, welcome back, Penelope. Let's get right into the... Palaces of Analysis. Okay, pull up your scriptures. Last week we made reference to a couple of scripture passages in order to contrast the character of Satan, who is a liar and a murderer, with the character of our Lord, who is truth and peace. Uh, Winnie, can you read from John eight forty four to refresh our memories about the character of Satan?
2: Sure. You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies.
0: Mm. Native language, by the way. Not a slip of the tongue, not an accident, not a whoops. I meant to say something else, but no, this is his first language, right? His primary language is lying, and he's a murderer. Okay, whereas God is a God of what? 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three. Penelope? Mm-hmm.
1: For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people.
0: A God of peace. Right? Not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. <clears throat> okay, so Satan is a murderer. Jesus tells us this plainly. And one of the tools of Satan's craft is what? In the context of what we spoke about last week, what is one of the tools that Satan uses? Confusion. Confusion, replacing knowledge of the truth, which, by the way, God provides in abundance to everyone, not only in the Word, but in all of his creation— Satan replaces knowledge of the truth with a very limited awareness of a very narrow palette of information that those in power deploy for the express purpose of keeping you ignorant. Why? Why does Satan want to keep you ignorant?
2: Because he doesn't want us to know the Lord.
0: Okay. So if you're ignorant of the truth, you're more likely to fall into his traps,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: And although there are many smaller traps along the way, ultimately... The ultimate trap into which Satan is seeking to pull us is what? Sin. Sin leading to? Hell. Where well, does sin lead? Unrepentant sin leads ultimately to what? Do we need a clock? <sighs> Unrepentant sin. If you do not repent of your sins and turn to Christ, ultimately the end is what? Death. <laughs> yes, death. Eternal separation from God, Right? Isn't this, see the clock helped,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> isn't this Satan's ultimate purpose? All the little traps along the way, all the distractions, all the, the lies are just tools to reach his ultimate conclusion, which is to separate you eternally from Christ, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let me illustrate this point. <clears throat> all right, sit back, got a little story to tell you, and then I've got some questions along the way. Imagine you are on a long journey. And I think Winnie has been on a lot of hiking journeys. She might appreciate this. Hiking through the wilderness. You have experienced hiking, but you've never been in this region before. Your destination is known, a quiet cabin in a remote clearing. But your path to get there is unknown. Friends and family will greet you upon your arrival. They've sent you pictures. But other than offering a general direction and words of encouragement along with an enticing invitation, they are unable to communicate with you along the way, so you are on your own. The weather is beautiful when you depart, but conditions deteriorate on the second day and grow worse by the hour. Your rugged outdoor gear is no match for three consecutive days of cold rain, leaving you and all of your extra clothes drenched to the core. Having exhausted all of your food supplies, your shivering, wet body grows weak with hunger, and you've not enjoyed much sleep for 72 hours. Quite a nice picture, huh? Mm. (laughs) Beautiful. You do, however, have GPS. Your signal is sufficient, and your batteries, though low, remain working and effective. The map seems to indicate that you are closing in on your destination after three miserable days. The only remaining impediment separating you from a hot shower, a hot meal, and rest among family and friends is a fairly active and perhaps dangerous river 100 yards ahead. Now, according to your GPS, the nearest bridge is 20 miles to the south, and the river's too dangerous to cross. You'd be swept away in an instant. Considering your lack of food, the weather, and your weakening physical condition, you are devastated. How are you ever going to make it 20 miles south, cross the bridge, and then come back up 20 miles on the other side to reach the little cabin in the clearing? As you pray for wisdom, strength, and the courage to press on in these seemingly impossible conditions, you suddenly hear a voice from the other side of the river. At first, the words coming across the divide are inaudible and somewhat unintelligible. Something tells you to ignore the voice and soldier on toward the bridge, But with your defenses weakened, you pause and give ear to the voice. As you strain to make out what the voice is saying, it becomes a little clearer and seems to make more sense. What is he saying? Look at the rocks in the river. You can cross right here. You don't need to go to the bridge. You'll never make it. What rocks, you think? And then you see them. Protruding from beneath the surface of the river, jaggedy pointed rocks forming an almost perfect path across the river directly in front of you. You can cross the river right now and get quickly to the cabin in the clearing by walking across this kind of rock bridge that seemed to materialize out of nowhere right before your eyes, thereby saving you another day or two of who knows what kind of challenges if you went down across the bridge. Now, right now, I see Winnie looking at me with
2: yeah. <clears throat> I'm suspicion. Skeptical of these <laughs> rocks. Yeah.
0: Is this all a mirage? To test your senses, you step gently onto the first rock, keeping one foot ashore. The rock seems solid enough, but as you push your body weight back to the shore, you feel the rock give way underfoot a bit. But as if the voice sensed or observed your fears, this voice on the other side of the river beckons you, explaining that while the rocks may wiggle a bit, they serve their purpose well. Many have taken this bridge, the voice assures you, but you must be quick, the voice says, no time for hesitation. Icebergs, what would you do?
2: Take the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like the bridge is a better option.
0: Mm. So by God's grace, you do stop. Why? Well, because you're icebergs, after all. You're well-versed in the scriptures. You know the character of God and the condition of the hearts of men. Though you are exhausted, hungry, and at your wit's end, you remain sober-minded enough and alert— as admonished, by the way, in 1 Peter 5.8, knowing that, quote, your adversary the devil is prowling like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour, end quote. And because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, Philippians 2.13 for anybody acting or checking your Bibles, God in his sovereign grace and power causes you to overcome the temptation to take the easy way to your destination by crossing on the enticing rock bridge before you. Now, this doesn't mean that you're skipping down the 20 miles to get to the bridge. Remember, you're cold and wet, three days of misery in the rain, not much sleep, out of food, and 20 miles through the the woods and the, and the wilderness like that, that's going to take a day. Cross the bridge, take another day to get, so that's two more days with very little keeping you going. So you're obviously overcome by discouragement and distress, barely able to put two thoughts together because of your hunger, as you now struggle toward the bridge 20 miles to the south, unsure as to whether you're going to make it to the little cabin in the clearing, and still wondering whether perhaps you should have listened to the voice and ventured across the rock bridge. Surely by now you would have been revived at your destination. Not until you step onto the bridge and look back to the north Do you understand not until you peer into the river below where you can make out now blood and carnage of dead bodies, torn limb to limb floating lifeless under the bridge. Are you able to fully discern what has transpired for what was represented to you as a life-saving time-saving rock bridge was in reality, the spiny scales of a group of vicious crocodiles, whose full bodies were concealed just beneath the surface of the water, waiting for more victims to be fooled. <laughs> so are you glad you didn't take the bridge?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, very glad.
0: Did you know it was crocodiles? No. No. But you had something in your spirit that told you, mm, yeah,
2: I'm a bit
1: suspicious. A little <laughs> suspicious. and it seemed easier. I was like, yeah, oh, definitely not.
0: So what does that mean, that all easy things should be disregarded? No. No. But you should look at them with careful discernment, right? So what's my point? Mm -hmm. What's my bigger point when we're talking about words and the changing of meanings of words? What was happening here, this voice, maybe it's representative of Satan, right, speaking to you, especially when you had been praying, right? The temptation is believed that you pray and immediately it's God speaking to you, but Satan also is working to distract you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, among the other lessons to be learned, this is just another example that I wanted to use of how the enemy uses wordplay to deceive. By referring to the backs of these crocodiles as a safe rock bridge for quick passage to your destination, the enemy sought to confuse with the direct object being your destruction and eternal separation from Christ. As we explained last week, this wordplay is actually an admission that the enemy is unable to change reality. Because the children of the devil are unable to alter reality, they are left with semantics, that is, changing the meaning of the words to describe reality. So crocodiles become a rock bridge in order that the enemy may conform reality, your salvation in Christ, to his own desires, which is your death and destruction. Does that make sense? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: All right, short one today. When we return, we're going to... Discuss a couple of questions per usual. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book, all the way back in 2009, to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to jesusandthemeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is still Kevin Cookage. And I am I still, pardon? didn't
2: change. <laughs> I
0: didn't change. I am still your host. Yes, the word Kevin Kukaji still refers to me, <laughs> the guy behind this mic. Uh, if you would like to join the program and you haven't been reached out to or haven't received an email from our producer, you can email your request if the email's working, questions at icebergs, not dot com. That's I C E B E R G S N O T S N-O-W-F-L-A-K-E-S dot com. All right. I decided to turn the tables today, and I'm going to ask a few questions. Uh, Winnie, what did you think that that rock bridge was? Something made, because I looked up (laughs) when when I was reading that story, and I saw your eyes saying, "Mm, not buying it.
2: Well, the first thing that was suspicious to me was that you couldn't see the person on the other side. You could just hear the voice. Okay. So you didn't know who it was.
0: So okay, that's really good. But it also suggests that seeing is believing. So if you can't see it, you no, don't know.
2: I don't know. It was something there was something mysterious in a bad way about someone telling you to cross a raging river on some rickety rocks. I thought they were just like I I Thought that appeared were... out
0: of no... That you didn't yeah. see before, right? Oh,
2: yes. Well, I thought they were some sort of mirage or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, at first I thought that person was hallucinating.
0: Okay. And which could have been the case, yeah. right? Three days with very little food, no sleep. We once had a friend... We have a friend who was um, in special operations, and he was on a mission where no one had slept for, I think, a week, or or very, very little Oof. in a week, and they were holding up their M1 rifles... And he literally thought that um, there were
1: lemon drops,
0: Yeah, lemon (laughs) drops, (laughs) lemon drops, walking up the barrel of the rifle
1: and started started picking
0: them up and eating them. And then they realized at some point in the process that these were ants, right? Mm -hmm. Ants growing up the rifle, (laughs) not lemon drops, but that's how hungry they were. (laughs) And this particular individual was not the only one who had seen the hallucination. So they were, col- because it was a collective hallucination, because all of them had not slept, I think, and all of them had not eaten.
2: So they all saw They all,
0: lemon <laughs> <drops>? <laughs> more than one of them, anyway. Yeah. Penelope, how about you? What did you think, why did you think, I didn't look at your eyes, but you seemed to be right on board, like, no way, I'm not crossing this rock bridge. What did you think it was?
1: Um, well, it just kind of, like, reminded me of... Um little red riding hood how like she's supposed to take like this one trail and then like someone else is like oh no no it's like easier this way just take this route and like in little red riding hood it's like stop and smell the roses and stuff it's not like take a different road but just it's still something it's a distraction that's distracting.
0: And a delay. Yeah. yeah yeah wow Really good reference to one of my what favorite fairy tales of all time.
2: It was that episode two.
0: Yeah. Wow. You've done good marketing <laughs> too, Penelope. Referred us right back to, was it episode two? Yeah, well, I we think can so.
2: Check I don't and remember. See.
0: One of those. Yeah, I wasn't in it. One, two, or three. Wait, you weren't here for Little Red Riding Hood? No,
1: I just know you like that story. I've heard you talk about it before, ah. so I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that episode two, would sound familiar even if I wasn't on it.
0: Well, remember, the key point. Why was it that Little Red Riding Hood was fooled by this talking wolf in the first place? Why did she even consider, hey, here's a wolf who's talking to me and asking me where I'm going?
1: Because she didn't know who he was.
0: Yeah, say it again.
1: She didn't know who he was? Yeah,
0: she didn't know. She wasn't taught about the true character of a wolf. So she believed the wolf to be something that he wasn't. She believed him to be just someone who had her best interests in mind. And so, of course, I'm going to enter into into a conversation with someone like that. Whereas if she knew that the wolf was a very dangerous and wicked beast, she wouldn't have even entertained the discussion.
2: So lack of knowledge leads to more uh, likelihood of going the wrong way and being tempted?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lack of knowledge, which – and that this is a – we've talked about moral knowledge and and the formation of moral character – Only when you know what is true, right, only when you believe what is true can you see things as they really are. So we can't always trust our senses, obviously, but what you did is in this evaluation of this story was you checked your senses. You said, okay, maybe those are rocks, and maybe I step on them and they're a little bit stable. Even the fact that right after I stepped on the rock and it gave me a sense of instability, well, there was that voice assuring me, I say in air quotes, right, because that voice... If it's Satan here in this in this illustration, um, certainly a manifestation of Satan, is trying to comfort you because he sees that, oh, you're on to him, right? Oh, those rocks are not quite as secure, well, obviously, because they're crocodiles. They're not rooted. They're kind of moving and ready to strike. What's that fairy tale where – is it the gingerbread man? Isn't the end of the gingerbread man that he steps on the back of a
2: yeah, – oh, it's a fox. In, yeah, he's in – and then he climbs onto the nose, and then that's right. The fox, right. The
0: fox keeps, keeps the fox keeps mm-hmm. on encouraging him. Come closer, come closer. But the fox is isn't the fox going across water in that story? Yeah,
2: and so the water like comes up. Yeah. until it's on his nose. That's and he right. Has to stand up. And
0: that's see. right. He the fox offers his services as like a taxi for little or for <laughs> um, what's that little cookie's name? What the ginger G- ginger red man. Red man. Yes. it? The gingerbread
1: man. Yeah. Little
0: cookie. Yeah, the running the running uh, smart aleck cookie. Who jumps on the back of the fox? The fox jumps into the water, and then as the water gets deeper, he keeps encouraging the cookie to get closer and closer to his mouth. And of course, he snaps upon him. Very similar here. Good. I, I love the fact that you are using your senses, but not trusting them. You are comparing them against the truth, which we know is ultimately found in what? God. Yeah, and and or God the Bible. specifically. Yeah, through the Word of God. That's right. I want to end with a little bit of scripture for encouragement. Because sometimes people might say, how in the world could I have avoided that decision? What, you know, maybe I would have been deceived. Uh, but scripture is very comforting in letting us know that if we are gods, he's not going to allow us to be ultimately deceived. And for that, we look to Romans eight, twenty-eight through 30. Winnie, if you can read that for us to close.
2: Mm-hmm. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified.
0: So, just as scriptures say, from him, through him, and to him are all things. And in Acts, it says, Acts seventeen twenty eight: For in him we live and move and have our being. All things derive from God. So if God has manifested himself to you, if God has promised you that he will care for you, then he is not going to allow you to be ultimately be deceived by the enemy, you see. And for that, we take comfort. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our two-thirds icebergs, our producer, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who... Like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do, Winnie?
2: Unless we believe what is true.
0: That's right. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.